Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Block Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, and I certainly see the guests in the chat room, you please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. And then I'm going to open the lines uh, immediately so that you can ask questions or make a comment, and then following the show, you can continue this discussion on the various Facebook groups devoted to DNA and genealogy. And, of course, my page, Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. Uh, Now, today is a special day. It's a special time, and there's something special that's happening this week. And so... Shannon and I were just talking, and we, we said, you know what, we need to just talk about DNA issues. We see people posting a lot of questions on Facebook, and this is going to be one of those days where we're just going to do a, just kind of a review of DNA. We're going to talk about some issues, and uh, and hopefully it will advance your knowledge just that much further as to the relationship between DNA and your genealogy. So have you received your results and you have no idea how to analyze them? Uh, You know, what do you know about identical by descent and identical by state? Does that make any sense to you? You know, have you lowered the threshold? Or do you even know what I'm talking about, lowered the threshold and your DNA matches and discovered that you match everyone? Uh, Should you do it? You know, is it a valid indicator for identifying your matches? Well, Shannon is certainly going to discuss how DNA analysis, when used in concert with traditional genealogical research methods, can help family historians overcome challenges unique to genealogy research. He will also answer your questions concerning the various DNA tests. Now, Shannon Christmas is an experienced genealogist, and he specializes in genetic colonial American and African-American genealogy in Virginia and the Carolinas. And um, he's also the co-administrator of the Hemings-Jefferson-Waits-Epps Autosomal DNA Project and a blogger of Through the Trees. 
And this is a didactic guide to new tools and technologies for genealogy. We are also uh, lucky to have Cece Moore to join us, and she's going to come on and just share with us a little information about the conference that's going to start on Friday. And so before I bring Shannon on, we're going to have Cece say a few words about the conference, and then we're going to get into the discussion about DNA issues. So, Cece, welcome. Hi, Bernice. Thanks for having me come on so I could tell everybody about our exciting conference this weekend. Okay, well, Uh, go ahead on. (laughs) So if you're in the Washington, D.C. area and you haven't heard about our Institute for Genetic Genealogy conference that's happening this weekend, we would love to have you join us. It's three days. Friday, the companies that offer genetic testing to genealogists uh, Family Tree DNA, 23andMe, and Ancestry DNA will have workshops to help people use their sites. And then Saturday and Sunday, we have many of the leading genetic genealogists in the world uh, in one place, all to give presentations and to teach people about genetic genealogy. We'll be addressing beginners, intermediate, and advanced. And of course, the wonderful Shannon Christmas will be one of our speakers. We're so honored to have him. Um, so we, we are taking walk-ins, and at this point, we're still taking registrations on the site. And the site is I4GG, so that's Institute for Genetic Genealogy, I4GG.org. And we would love to see everyone there. Well, thank you so much. I just have a question for you. Now, you say on-site sure. registration. Can you register for just mm-hmm. one day, or is it for every day? One fee uh, for every have- day, or you have a special fee? It's one fee for the whole conference. We kept it very inexpensive. It's only $85 for the registration. This is a not-for-profit conference, meaning we're not making any money off of it. That wasn't our intention. So we just have that one set price. But I think with it being as low as it is, even if you were only able to come one day, it might be worth your while. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And I certainly look forward to seeing you and everyone else on Friday. Thank yes, you. We'll, we'll look forward to seeing you. And I just wanted to mention it's at the 4-H Center in Chevy Chase, Maryland, and you can find all that information on the website. Okay, thank you. And the website has been posted. So, everybody, okay. this is your opportunity to come and hear from the experts. And I'm going to turn this over to Shannon Christmas. Shannon, I am so happy to have you on today. Thank you. I know that to everybody this is a special time. I don't normally have a show at 4 o'clock Eastern time, but this is special. And special thanks to you, Shannon, for coming on today. So, Shannon, since I started off mentioning that you're the co-administrator of the Hemings-Jefferson Project, we already have a question. And the question is, how is the research progressing regarding the links through DNA to the Jefferson and Hemings study? And is there a website that they could access at Monticello uh, to go online to find any additional information? Well, Bernice, thank you ever so much for having me. And thank you for asking such a great question right off the bat. at this point, the Hemings-Jefferson-Wales-Epps Autosomal DNA Project 
is progressing quite nicely. Uh, the number of participants has grown uh, very nicely ahead of expectations. And at this point, there is not a special website set up for the project at Monticello. Uh, in fact, uh, the project is pretty much a volunteer project outside of the sphere of Monticello and the Thomas Jefferson Foundation. It's uh, essentially myself and uh, C.C. Moore. So there is not a website set up at Monticello. There was a project website set up on uh, ancestorprojects.com, which is associated with jedmatch.com. As you and many others know, Jedmatch has been going through a bit of growing pains lately uh, because of all of the new uploads. And so Ancestor Projects has been down even longer than Jedmatch has been up and down. So we hope to have that particular site revived uh, relatively soon. And that is pretty much the Hemings-Jefferson Wales Epps Autosomal DNA Project progress in a nutshell. Okay, well, thank you very much. So let's kind of start at the beginning. You know, I, I, when I have these shows, and by the way, folks, this is the fifth show that I've had on DNA, and I try to at least have a show every, let's say about every four months. And Cece and Shannon have been on the show twice. We've had Dr. Joanna Mountain, and the last guest I had was uh, Emily Alessino, and she talk to us about the basics of uh, DNA and beyond, her, her new book, Genetic Genealogy. So uh, I always like to at least start at the basics, just so that we're all on the same page and all <laughs> we know what we're talking about. So could you just go, give us a review of the various DNA tests and then tell us the pros and cons of, of each? Certainly. Well, there are essentially three major types of uh, genetic testing for genealogy. And those test types are autosomal DNA, which is the one we hear most about and is basically a look at all of the DNA that's on chromosomes 1 through 22. Uh, 23 and Me also looks at the X chromosome, as does Family Finder from Family Tree DNA. Uh, in addition to that, there are Y-DNA tests and mitochondrial DNA tests. Uh, both of those are offered through Family Tree DNA. Now, Y-chromosome DNA testing involves looking at the Y-chromosome, a sex chromosome that is passed from father to son, each generation. Uh, now, this particular chromosome only encounters minor changes over a long time span. So it's very good for tracing deep ancestry on one's direct paternal line. So one's father's 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 father. And since it is only transmitted between father to son, it is one of those pieces of DNA that you can only test males for. 
it's one of those tests that women just can't pass. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we have mitochondrial DNA, which is great for uh, learning more about one's direct maternal line. It is transmitted from mother to child each generation. So you can learn more about one's mother's, 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 mother as far back as you can possibly go. And the Y-DNA test and the mitochondrial DNA test are very good for deep ancestry, whereas the autosomal DNA test is very good for looking at things within the past 500 years or five generations. So those are the three major types of DNA tests that are out there. And for autosomal DNA testing, it's especially interesting that we now have three competing products. And when I say competing, I mean they are uh, essentially run on the same type of software. They are uh, the same price, $99, and they produce much of the same information. But there are nuances to each particular product within the autosomal DNA testing industry that are very important and good to know if you are going to only test with one company. There's 23andMe, which is the largest of the autosomal DNA databases. It's also the oldest of the autosomal DNA databases. And the one big difference that uh, separates 23andMe from the competing products is that there has historically been a very strong focus on health results, getting information about how your genetic makeup could potentially impact, sorry to use impact as a herb, uh, your personal health. So there are a lot of individuals who are testing at 23andMe and appearing among one's genetic relative match list who may very well not respond to any type of communication because they tested primarily for health results. Now, as many of you already know, 23andMe has already uh, for the moment, temporarily discontinued providing health results. Uh, and it's unclear to me as a customer whether that has had any real impact on the types of uh, DNA matches I'm getting in the sense of communication. I don't yet see that there is a marked increased increase in the number of matches who are responsive to my request uh, for communication. And that's the other major thing is that on 23andMe, you have to request to have the ability to communicate with each of your matches. You have to send invitations. And that can be a very time-consuming process when you're getting over 1,000 matches once you receive your results. Another now, I just want to 
just just say something here because I'm getting comments also from the um, from the chat room. So while you're describing something, someone just said why DNA tests and autosomal was very good in helping uh, this individual corroborate uh, his maternal family oral history of whom uh, was his great-grandfather. And so they just uh, put that comment in there to kind of go with what you're saying. Um, so going on, you just said that 23andMe, you must request to have the ability to communicate with your matches. Yes. So obviously those who have never tested perhaps do not understand that you are getting a list of people that will will match your DNA in one way or the other at the cousin level. Yes. Basically, the uh, 23andMe test and all of the autosomal DNA tests look for matching stretches of DNA uh, in you while they're comparing you against everyone else in the database. And whenever there is a match the individual who is matching you is placed on a list uh, that you can access. At 23andMe, that is called DNA Relatives. And the DNA Relatives program, as I mentioned, requires a lot of inviting and requesting. And so there's a lot of choreography required to get the information that you are seeking. And even with all of that choreography, you may find yourself uh, working with individuals who are either not capable of providing the information because they don't have it or are just, for whatever reason, a bit skittish about providing that information. Okay. Uh, And the other interesting thing about 23andMe and this is partially uh, the reason why I always recommend that people test there first, is that they do give you Y-DNA and mitochondrial DNA haplogroups, and those can be particularly informative uh, for those individuals who might want to consider getting additional types of testing like Y-DNA testing or mitochondrial DNA testing. Okay, now I need you, as as you talk, I will ask you to define uh, some of your terms so that individuals will understand what you're speaking of. You just mm-hmm. said haplogroup, so define what a haplogroup is. Well, a haplogroup is essentially a group that's associated with a genetic marker that can give someone a bird's eye view of where their direct paternal or direct maternal ancestor came from in the world. So it gives you a point of origin based on DNA markers uh, for either your father's 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 father or your mother's 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 mother. Okay. Uh, So, for instance... Uh, many of the haplogroups uh, that are designated with the letter L are associated, well, the mitochondrial DNA haplogroups that are associated with the letter L come out of, very recently, out of Africa. And 
Y-gene haplogroups that begin with the letter E typically have relatively recently come out of Africa. They're uh, very easy to remember and very easy to spot on your match list uh, on 23andMe because that's one of the things that 23andMe does tell you uh, right at the start is the haplogroups for each of your individual matches. And one thing to keep in mind is that it's very common to get matches that do not have the same haplogroup as you do. But that doesn't change the fact that you share some autosomal DNA, which connects you. Uh, and that DNA was inherited from a common ancestor. Okay. Now, I have a question that I received uh, by way of email. And the individual uh, stated that her haplogroup was L, her brother tested, and he's E. And she wanted to know, were they full siblings? And so how would you respond to that question? Well, the issue, or rather the question that I would ask, given that information, when she speaks of her haplogroup being L, she's obviously talking about her mitochondrial DNA haplogroup. That's Whereas correct. when she mentions E, is she talking about mitochondrial for her brother or is she talking about Y DNA for her brother? She's talking about the Y DNA for her brother. Okay. Then at that point, it's not an issue uh, whether they are full siblings based on his Y DNA haplogroup and her mitochondrial DNA haplogroup because as a female, she doesn't have a Y DNA uh, haplogroup because she doesn't have a Y chromosome. That's correct. So mm -hmm. determining how one is related to one sibling or whether one is a full sibling or a half sibling uh, really depends on much more. It depends on uh, the level of matching on the autosomal DNA and also looking at uh, her brother's mitochondrial DNA haplogroup and her mitochondrial DNA haplogroup. So apples to apples. Yes, that's correct. And for siblings that have tested with autosomals, and she's showing uh, her haplogroup, she should see the same mpDNA right. haplogroup for her brother, but she will not see a Y-DNA for herself. Right, yes. So it's just a matter of understanding what you're seeing when you get your results when mm -hmm. a male and a female of the same family, a brother and a sister test, and it's autosomal, understand mm -hmm. what you're looking at. Oh, absolutely, uh, because you know there are all there are also uh, interesting stories of uh, half siblings who have the same haplogroups, uh, and they don't understand why I've dealt uh, with that situation too, and it's just one of those things where uh, the parents 
that they did not share in common, those parents just happened to have the same haplogroup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so that is that situation in a nutshell. Right. Uh, to continue right. with the discussion of the differences between the various autosomal DNA products, there's also okay. mm-hmm. uh, Family Tree DNA's Family Finder, uh, which uh, is the second oldest autosomal DNA database and the third largest at this point. Uh, now, Family Finder is interesting in that many more of the uh, individuals in the database actually have lots of information about uh, their families. So they're more genealogically minded. Um, there also is no requirement to invite or request, you simply begin communicating with your match via email. Uh, In addition to that, the one big difference, and this is really crucial, is that Family Finder's matching algorithm, the internal mechanisms that they have for determining whether someone is a match to another individual, it's all very different from 23andMe in the sense that on 23andMe, there is a matching threshold, a default matching threshold of seven centimorgans, meaning that an individual or a pair of individuals has to share at least a seven centimorgan DNA segment. Uh, and centimorgans applies to the length of a DNA segment. So the longer a segment, typically the closer a relationship is and the shorter a segment is, the more distant a relationship is. And while 23andMe only requires a single segment of seven centimorgans long for their DNA relatives program, Family Tree DNA's Family Finder program requires that uh, a pair of individuals share at least a total of 20 centimorgans in common. And so that higher threshold means for most individuals shorter match list than what they would find at 23andMe. However, also means, yes. go ahead. Uh, I was also just going to say that that also means that there are many more false negatives at uh, Family Finder in the sense that there are genuine matches, genuine genetic relatives that Family Finder will miss because of this very high threshold. Yes, yes. Okay, uh, so there's another question, and you just mentioned the 20 centimorgans for Family Tree DNA and seven for 23andMe, which means that you're saying that if you test with 23andMe, you're certainly going to have a much larger volume of matches. But does that Uh, negate the fact that they're not real matches because it's seven CMs or they are matches regardless of, I mean, or they are matches, it's just that it's much more. And you're saying uh, family tree DNA, you may be missing matches because of the 20 centimorgans. Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. 
You definitely are uh, not getting all of your genetic relatives who are in Family Finders database because of the matching threshold. Okay. Uh, so, yes, that's pretty much Family Finder in a nutshell. Uh, there is also Ancestry DNA, which is the newest of the autosomal DNA databases out there. It uh, gets a lot of airplay in part because it is associated with Ancestry.com, which has been around for quite some time, as everyone knows. Uh, now, Ancestry DNA offers a wealth of genealogical data because they have uh, so many family trees on Ancestry.com that it is just wonderful to be able to go onto Ancestry DNA and match with a person and within perhaps even a few minutes determine exactly uh, how you're related to that individual or who the common ancestors are. Uh, it is also the second largest database. Uh, it is growing very swiftly. Uh, it is a product that is consistently on sale <laughs> at a discounted price. Uh, and it also has some drawbacks namely the lack of the analytic tools that you have on Family Finder and 23andMe. And that means you are not able to zero in on exactly who the common ancestor was from whom you and any specific match inherited your shared DNA. Okay, let's, let's understand this a little closer. Oh, sure. Okay, so you have Ancestry DNA, and for those of the uh, listening audience that have tested with, with all of the companies, you know you have your Ancestry DNA and you have trees. Now, some people have no trees. Mm-hmm. So right now what you're saying is that you are able to look at the trees to determine First of all, if the trees are accurate and if, they, if the individuals have been able to really, really work on those trees, then you're saying that perhaps some of those you can't figure it out because they're missing something, and it's it's the chromosomes. Is that is that what's missing? Yes, the ability to look at matching DNA segment data, so the actual location of the DNA segments, is not available on Ancestry DNA. Uh, if you want that type of information at the segment level, you have to download your raw DNA data file from Ancestry mm-hmm. DNA, mm-hmm. and you have to upload that file to a website called GEDmatch. Mm-hmm. And you have to have your matches do the very same thing. And so... That's challenging in the sense that, first of all, as I mentioned, because Ancestry DNA has the second largest database, 
you are bound to get quite a few matches, especially since Ancestry DNA's matching threshold is the lowest of all of the three autosomal DNA databases. For quite some time, Ancestry DNA utilized a minimum matching threshold that was not measured in centimorgans, but in megabase pairs. And so that created some confusion because some segments that are five megabase pairs or more can actually be less than one centimorgan. So people are being matched on a completely different standard, and the level of matching DNA is not uh, anything like that on the competing products, or at least that's the way it was until a few months ago when Ancestry DNA indicated that they had switched the matching for new customers such that new customers will get matches who share at least a single segment that is five centimorgans or longer. So, so in with other that words, new information, and I'm just going to interject, so what you're saying with that new uh, information that you just presented, I wonder if some people will lose their matches that they already have on Ancestry. That is an excellent question to which uh, I had hoped to have a more definite answer at this point. Uh, but at this point, Ancestry DNA has indicated that uh, new or rather newer customers are getting their matches based on the five centimorgan mm-hmm. uh, threshold and uh, older customers or people who have been with Ancestry DNA a bit longer will get their matches matched on five megabase pairs. And there is speculation about whether Ancestry DNA will flush out those matches that are not meeting the new threshold, and also when that will happen. Right. Uh, and so we have to wait on Ancestry DNA staffers to let us know. Uh, but hopefully we won't have to wait too much longer. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the good things about the, the conference this week is that individuals will have an opportunity to hear from all of the company representatives. Mm-hmm. And that's a place where they could really get those questions answered as to whether you're going to see a, a big change in the the individuals, especially Ancestry, that you mm-hmm. uh, currently have because they are making an adjustment to the threshold. Now, you mentioned JetMatch, and mm-hmm. because you mentioned JetMatch, I want you to say a little bit more about JetMatch uh, so that individuals could hear what it is and then after that, I want to ask you uh, some more questions about JetMatch, and then we're, we're not going to even take a break. <laughs> we're going to just keep talking and talk about uh, identical by 
state and identical by descent. And what does that mean? Okay, oh, so sure. take us through Jed Match, and then we talk about identical by state and identical by uh, descent. Certainly, Jed Match is a website which uh, is not associated with uh, a company of sorts. It is a volunteer-run, free website that is essentially a third-party tool for those individuals who have patronized 23andMe, Family Finder, and Ancestry DNA. So it's a place where you can upload your data and have additional analysis done uh, beyond what is done on the uh, corporate websites. So the website JetMatch is very useful for just finding out who is matching you from companies other than the ones you've tested with? So say, for instance, uh, my uh, initial test was with 23andMe. And say, for instance, I just did not test anywhere else. Uh, but I would be interested in communicating with matches that I would have if I had tested with Family Finder or Ancestry DNA then I can upload my 23andMe raw data to JetMatch, and JetMatch will run its own algorithm to match me to relatives who only tested with Family Finder or only tested with Ancestry DNA. So it's another place to pick up matches. Uh, and it's also a great place to work with genealogical data as well because a number of uh, JetMatch customers or rather JetMatch aficionados have uploaded their JetComs to JetMatch and that gives you an opportunity to not only see the genetic data but also the pedigree data. And so it makes it a little bit easier to determine how you are related to someone on the molecular level uh, within a genealogical time frame. So that is JetMatch in a nutshell for genetic genealogists. Uh, JetMatch also offers uh, admixture calculators if you want to get a second opinion on the ancestry composition uh, from 23andMe or the uh, Ancestry DNA Ethnicity Estimate, uh, JedMatch can provide you with some additional perspectives. Okay. Now, I, I have noticed, and um, you and I have talked about this, you just mentioned that Ancestry is looking at a 5CM threshold. Mm -hmm. Suppose you have individuals and they, they have transferred their raw data to JetMatch, and they're trying to see whether they match somebody. They discover that maybe they don't, but they drop the threshold a little, and then they drop it a little bit more. Talk about the pros and cons of dropping your threshold, and what does that really do or okay. not do? Okay. Well, that gets into the issue of whether a DNA segment that you share with someone uh, 
is either identical by state or identical by descent. Identical by descent refers to DNA segments that are of sufficient length as to indicate that you and your match inherited the shared DNA from a common ancestor within a genealogical time frame. Whereas identical by state refers to DNA segments that are actually pseudo-segments. They are actually the product of random chance or compound segments where you have a tiny, tiny little segment that is indicative of being from the same population as the other person. And then perhaps uh, both of your parents have uh, these tiny segments in the same area. And when 23andMe or Family Finder or JetMatch does their matching, they call a match because there's just enough from your mother and just enough from your father combined on a given position on the chromosome that it looks like it's a segment that's longer than it is. So say you have two 3.5 segments from each of your parents or one from each parent and they happen to be in the same place and line up just the right way so that it looks like it's seven centimorgans, but it really isn't. Uh, That's an example of identical by state. So so it looks like it's it's really kind of a false positive result. I mean, you... Yes, it's a false positive You're seeing the... I mean, people are lining up that it is showing that there's a possibility of a connection, but you're saying it's a false connection. Yes, it's a false positive in most cases. One of the best ways to filter out false positives is to, if you can, test both of your parents. And those matches that are matching you, but not either of your parents, they typically are matching you on a segment that is identical by state. There are some anomalies where, because of the technology, the individual actually does match one of your parents, but there was a misread that broke up a segment uh, or something of that nature that makes it look like that person is not matching either parent. And so in some cases, or rather in those cases, it would be interesting to lower the threshold to see if there really is an IBD, identical by descent DNA segment that maybe didn't get picked up by Mm -hmm. one of the testing companies. And Mm -hmm. so you can uh, get a sense of whether there was some confusion there. So it's good for that, the dropping of the matching threshold. 
Yeah. And then but, how far would should you drop it if you if you do if you are trying to determine this? You wouldn't go to one, would you? Uh well, if you're looking to find out whether there's been some sort of slip up with the reading technology, uh then you would want to look at uh making some changes to the matching threshold just to see if a mistake was made. But those are very rare. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of individuals who are actually going to JetMatch and they start off with a one centimorgan matching threshold. Mm -hmm. And they get these incredible lists of people with whom they are matching. And they don't recognize that many of these individuals that they're matching at this extremely low threshold are not actual relatives within a genealogical time frame. So to make a long story short, I think that as a default, you should not go any lower than five centimorgans. Uh, if you feel the need to lower the threshold at all. Mm-hmm. Because the smaller a segment is, the more likely it is that the segment is simply identical by state and not indicative of an actual genealogical relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned the best way to filter out a false positive is to test both parents. However, mm-hmm. some people don't have both parents or right. even have parents. Yes. So what uh, what would you recommend? Uh, who should be tested mm-hmm. uh, in the family? Uh, well, in terms of who to test, that is you know, a very straightforward answer in the sense that well, if your parents are not available, then you want to test their brothers and sisters. If they are not available, uh, then you also want to test with grandparents if they are available. You basically want to go as far back into the living generations as possible. Mm-hmm. And once you hit that limit, you want to start working with, say, second and third cousins in order Mm -hmm. to get a little bit more of an understanding of where your matches belong in your family tree. Because what happens is you get a second cousin match, you know that the DNA that you share with the second cousin came from a particular pair of Mm great-grandparents. So the matches that you share with the second cousin on the segments that you share with your second cousin must have shared an ancestor with one of the great-grandparents that you share with that second cousin. Mm -hmm. So that's a great way to get a better sense of where segments belong and where your matches belong in your family tree. Right, right. You know, there's something about this getting tests and and certainly those who have tested, they've tested because they've wanted to test. Others mm-hmm. have convinced family members to test. Mm-hmm. 
And But then you don't hear any information. People do not communicate. They don't share. They don't share their family tree. And so let's talk about what to share uh, and why it's important, if you're going to test, to communicate with the people that you match. That is an excellent topic. It's important to share genomes meaning to get the matching DNA segment data as well as family trees. Those are the two must-haves. I do understand that some individuals do not have family trees uh, because either they were adopted or maybe they only have half of a family tree because they're looking for uh, the identity of one of their parents. Uh, So that's understandable. But it's also very important for those individuals who are testing, who do have the resources to build a pedigree, to do just that, build a pedigree before you even test. Mm -hmm. When I first tested in 2010, the first year was very challenging because my family tree was fairly limited in the sense that I started off just testing without building out a family tree at all. Yes. And I quickly realized that's why this is so difficult because I don't have a big chunk of what I need in order to make the match. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is what I tell everyone that I advise. If you're going to do this, then you need to come to the test results with your pedigree built out as far as you possibly can, uh, if you can do that, because otherwise you're going to get lost very quickly. And so once I built out my family tree, it became very easy to find out how I was connected to these hundreds of hundreds of matches. Right, right. And we're not talking about just two parents. We're talking about two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great, and you're doubling it each time. And each of these, each generation that you're going back and you're doubling, you're also doubling a a lot of names. And one one of the issues that I have seen is that, People will throw out one surname or one location and say, you don't look like you're from Louisiana, and I don't know anybody in that place, and that's it. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, And that's a major issue with this whole process is that, like the rest of genealogy, genetic genealogy requires networking to get the most out of it. And so whether that is face-to-face networking or simply digital networking, Mm -hmm. it has to happen. Otherwise, you're not going to get the most out of this. Right. Um, Right. And I have encountered individuals who are a bit surprised that they actually have to communicate with their matches in order to learn what it is they are seeking to learn from their DNA results. 
if you are an individual who simply is opposed to communicating with these matches, then this may not be the right route for you. Uh, so that is something to consider. You know, that's one thing. You're right, if they're opposed to communicating. But I think one of the things that may help everybody is to say, why did you test in the first place? <laughs> and some people may not test to find cousins. They may test just to determine their admixture. They may yeah. test just because it's the new thing out, and they just want to see what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. But for those people who are very serious, about their genealogy and using the the tool, and I look at it as a tool, to help you go even further, then that's going to require a lot of work. It's not a quick fix to finding who your ancestors are. It requires a lot of work. Absolutely, absolutely. It is at times a very tedious process. And if you are not up to it, then this may not be the route for you. Uh, But that can be said for all of genealogy. Whatever method you are utilizing, it requires a lot of patience, a lot of concentration, and a lot of diligence. And if you're not willing to invest that, then you probably will not get much of a return on what little time and effort you do invest. That's right. That's right. You you probably will not. So let's talk a, a little bit about something called triangulation. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean? And I know I'm throwing this out, folks, but those of you that you come on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to Chevy Chase, you'll be able to learn even more about this. But let's just talk about if I match you and then I match four or five other people, what what are we doing here? Right. Triangulation in the context of genetic genealogy and specifically autosomal DNA uh, refers to having put people within what we call triangulated groups. And that is finding all of these individuals who match on a specific segment and then doing pedigree comparisons within that group to identify the common ancestors from whom you inherited the shared DNA. And this is why there's so much of an emphasis on matching DNA segment data and chromosome browsers because you need to be able to see the location of the shared DNA Mm -hmm. to identify the individuals who are all matching on that segment and then to see if each of those individuals are matching each other. Those individuals who are matching each other on the same segment inherited the DNA from the same common ancestor And you just move on to comparing family trees to determine who that common ancestor was. Yes, yes, yes. And, I mean, this is certainly a a good way for people to network Mm -hmm. if they're willing 
to share the the information. I mean, I know I have like ten people. We're all matching on the exact same segment, the exact same segment. And so it's a matter of us getting getting that information on a spreadsheet, getting our oh. family trees together. And uh, MFP DNA Project states we're talking about a lot of file boxes and a lot of spreadsheets. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, yes. absolutely. It's mm-hmm. uh, That is really where the work is with autosomal DNA and genetic genealogy. It's looking at spreadsheets and taking the time to actually map chromosomes. Mm-hmm. And that is what I tell most of the individuals who, advi- who I advise. You have to look at the matching DNA segment data almost as if it is geodata, geographic mm-hmm. information. You have to look at this as a list of addresses mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. your common or your shared DNA is, and you have to figure out who is on uh, the segment that came from your maternal side and who is on the segment that came from your paternal side, and then dig deeper. So that is really the process in its simplest form. Right. But there's there's some people that are so afraid to share genomes. Explain to individuals exactly what's being shared. Because some people actually think they're getting some material. I mean, explain to them just what's happening when you're sharing your genome. When you share genomes, and this is a process that you have to go through on 23andMe. You have to request to share genomes. That's not a requirement at the other uh, two companies because one provides the segment data at the very beginning and the other just doesn't provide any matching DNA segment data at all. Uh, At 23andMe, you share genomes and you get to see the location of the shared DNA within... uh, 23andMe's chromosome browser, which is known as Family Inheritance and Family Inheritance Advanced. You also get to see your matches uh, admixture results, the ancestry composition of each of your matches Mm -hmm. uh, who accept genome sharing. Uh, And you also get to see their countries of ancestry, which is another feature that is unique to 23andMe where you can see your matches, matches, uh, and where they have reported they have come from Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is what you get to see when you share genomes uh, at the basic level, or what they call without health results. There is an additional level called sharing with health results, where you get to see some of your matches' uh, health results. Uh, so that includes uh, unique traits that 23andMe tests for, as well as health risks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there, there are some health risks at 23andMe that no one else can see through genome sharing at all. Uh, And those include uh, breast cancer, uh, Alzheimer's, 
and all of the uh, high penetrance uh, health risks. So that's just sort of a non-issue. And for genetic genealogy, there's not really a reason at this point to uh, request or release your health results unless you just want to see just to see. And I have encountered uh, people of that nature or people with that interest. Uh, And it's up to you to decide whether you want to reveal that or divulge that. Uh, But I think that the concern about such matters has been overstated at 23andMe among the community, the concern about sharing genomes without health reports. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So right now, I mean, it is a personal choice, Mm -hmm. and it is an option. And on on 23andMe with Family Tree DNA, it's automatically there. You automatically see what the results are. And with Ancestry, you have trees, but you don't know exactly where you're matching on a chromosome. You have like a confidence level uh, from 100% to a, a very low, low level. And so mm-hmm. that's pretty much where you are. Now, let's go back for one one second to, to JetMatch. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have noticed, and I'm just going to make this an issue, and I do have a question coming in, too. So okay. before I say what I have to say, let me have the uh, person who's just called with a question from area code 575. What is your question or comment? Okay, my question had to do with uh, matching segments with cousins. And I just had the first cousin test for me. So now I'm trying to sort out matches that are our maternal matches. So Mm -hmm. I had a person that, just for instance, on chromosome 18 on a segment, matched her, and I match her, but that person and I don't match each other. So I am assuming that that is from her father's side since we're maternally related. And I just want to make sure I do understand that I'm looking at it correctly. Okay, just to clarify. So your first cousin, your maternal first cousin is tested, Mm -hmm. uh, and you two are matching as you should. Uh, And on chromosome 18, there's a particular segment that you two share. And there's another person who appears to match your maternal first cousin in the same place, but does not match you. Right. So I think that's her paternal side, right? Yes, that would appear to be a matching segment that is from her uh, paternal side. Uh, And so that person would be a paternal cousin. To her. To her, yes. If they're not matching you, yes. Okay, I have a question because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the same scenario that um, the, the caller just called in, first cousin, uh, matching um, a large number of individuals, the same individuals. However, mm-hmm. some people I'm not matching, mm-hmm. but those people are matching other cousins that are matching me. So I'm still putting that on my maternal side. So wouldn't that 
the the caller uh, situation be similar, so that if although the person is not matching her, there may be other cousins that that person would match. So well, do you have to just find other cousins before you jump to the conclusion that it is on that person's paternal side just because that person does not match her or match him? And, Carla, you are still alive, by the way. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay. Well, in the caller situation, we're dealing with a segment mm-hmm. where the caller is matching a first cousin, so they share a segment within a specific position. And then there's someone who is matching the maternal first cousin in the same position, mm-hmm. but is not matching the caller, which means that they're not all in the same triangulated group mm-hmm. on that particular segment, which mm-hmm. means that, as I say, the caller and her first cousin are in apartment A, on this given position. And the first cousin and this other match, match C, if you will, is in the other apartment, apartment B, in the same Mm -hmm. position. So Mm -hmm. apartment B must be from the paternal side for the maternal first cousin. Mm -hmm. The caller is in apartment A. Mm-hmm. And that's since the two of them are related maternally, obviously a DNA segment that they both inherited from their maternal grandparents. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, these are the kinds of, of scenarios that you will experience when you're looking at your DNA and you're looking at your matches. Now, mm-hmm. we also have individuals that test. They've heard about JetMatch and mm-hmm. immediately upload their data to JetMatch, mm-hmm. but they don't share with the individuals that have matched them in that particular company. And so mm-hmm. what's your thought about that for people who just immediately jump to JetMatch without at least sharing with the people they match with? Uh, that is definitely a very challenging issue. Uh, for those of us who uh, have gotten used to sending out lots of messages in order to get in contact with our matches via the software that's associated with the various test companies. When someone goes to JetMatch and ignores our messages on 23andMe or Ancestry DNA or Family Finder, it can seem very confusing because it's on some level doesn't make a lot of sense to us Uh, but that is the way of the world I suppose and we just have to find them on JetMatch and send an email assuming that they have left an email address we also have to keep in mind that for some individuals JetMatch might be a better fit for their technological skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have argued that 23andMe is too complex a software for them, too complex a site, uh, and that it's just too 
challenging to go through all of the hoops that are there. And so they prefer JetMatch because they can just see their matches and email them as opposed to sending messages through the site. Uh, And some people have said that uh, Ancestry DNA's uh, interface, while beautiful, is also somewhat defective uh, more times than not in the sense that messages don't go where they're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they prefer JetMatch because they can just email and be done with it. So we have to give some thought as to why people do what they do and Mm -hmm. just make use of the resources available. Right. Well, we're going. We have a few more seconds in, uh, with the show, and if anyone would like to call in, area code six four six two zero 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 four nine one, and press one uh, to speak to the host. And we will take uh, a few questions, and then uh, as we're waiting for individuals to call in, what? Uh, let's just just give us kind of the the, the parting words and the things that people need to know and understand about the DNA testing as a genealogical tool and, and any recommendations that you would have to folks, especially those that are waiting for their results mm-hmm. and for those that have just received their results. Certainly. Well, I think the most important thing to impart on anyone who has just recently tested is get your family tree together now. Learn as much as you can about your family now. Uh, The other thing I would recommend is get to know as much as you can about DNA, genetics, and how these tests work before your results come in. Uh, And those of you who have just received your results Congratulations, and just get ready for a lot of work ahead. Uh, I think it is quite a momentous occasion when we receive our DNA results for the very first time and we begin digging through the data and discovering things about ourselves and our ancestors that we otherwise would not have known. Right, and and take advantage of any educational opportunity that you have to learn about genetics, uh, genealogy. Uh, there's the 23andMe Hangouts, Ancestry has a tool, Family Finder, I mean, excuse me, Family Tree DNA. Study all of the products. Study them to the point that when you receive a sharing request and somebody asks you to share their genomes, and then they turn around and they say, you match me on chromosome 10 at 25 CMs, you at least have an idea of what they're talking about. Um, it, 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 it's just important. I mean, you have, you have made an investment in time and your money, and you share your DNA. So why not figure out and study what you, what you have done? Um, it's, it's, it's just it's, it's just a new tool that we have, and that tool is evolving. Every time you look around, something new is, is coming up. They're refining the tool. So you study and pay attention. 
Uh, someone said they're interested in the website associated with JedMatch called AncestorProjects.com. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to know your thoughts on the tool, and, and have you used it? Well, yes, I actually administer two projects on the AncestorProjects.com website. I find it very helpful uh, to be able to have a matrix there where you can just take all of these individuals who are in a project and just see all the DNA that they share or how much DNA that they share among themselves. So I definitely recommend it, and I definitely hope that it's fully functional within uh, a very short time. It's been down for a while, uh, but I know that the JetMatch team, which administers the site, has been overwhelmed with the flood of uploads to JetMatch. So... Uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. Well, this this is going to conclude the show for today, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And as Shannon has said, get your family trees now. Start working on your family. Know who's in your family. Remember, you're not just talking about your mother and your father. You have a lot of family members that you can build that pedigree Learn as much as you can from your family now. Get to know as much about the product that you've tested with. Study the product. Just go back in and start reading. Join the community forums. Join the uh, forums that are on Facebook. There are several groups. And talk and ask questions. I mean, that's the only way that you're really going to learn and understand this. And, you know, Shannon, I like to say there's no no such thing as a dumb question, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, if you don't know, you don't know, but you have to ask. That's right. Absolutely. And so so let's, let's, let's work with each other. And and see if we could help each other kind of advance their their genealogy because that's that's the ultimate. I mean, your genealogy, what's going to help you understand where you're from, your family connections, and what have you. So, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. And I will have a show tomorrow night, so tune in tomorrow night to hear about the Slave Dwelling Project with Joseph McGill. Uh, just just have a great day. As I said, thank you so much, Shannon Christmas and Cece Moore, for coming in to tell us about the International Genetic Conference that's on uh, this weekend um, in Chevy Chase, Maryland. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Information is out there, everybody. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. And just remember, everyone, there's the African Roots Podcast. It comes on every Friday with Angela Walton Raji. And then there's the Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett. Oh, just thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to you joining me tomorrow night. Good night, everybody. Better yet, good day, good night, good evening. Hi, see you later. (laughs) Bye-bye.